had some flashing lights, we could do it. You know, can we flash lights? No. Okay. Oh, okay. Need a spotlight then, huh? Don't do the spotlight either. Good morning. How is everyone? Everyone have a great Thanksgiving? We didn't eat too much, did we? Remember y'all in God's house. (laughs) I was mentioning on this morning how grateful I am to be a part of this fellowship. Um, I talked about the fact that the preaching here is great, the teaching here is great, but the worship is awesome. I really love to be in the presence of other people. And I mean, you can look around and you see all these hands lifted up. Pure, honest worship. And I praise God for that. So glad to see Pastor back in our midst. And he's already singing, but he knows I'm waiting on my song. And uh, he greeted us on this morning and uh, amazing grace. It is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. You don't want to hear me sing it. Okay. But um, he greeted us on this morning, my wife and I, and he looked at my wife and said, you know, you look beautiful this morning. And then he's walking away and then he turns around and says, Ed, how did you get her? And I'm like, I'm still trying to figure that out. But I praise God for that. Before we get into the word, pastor brought something to my mind, a praise report. And I don't know if Courtney has shared this with you guys or not. But uh, you mentioned the fact that Freedom Fellowship supports the Pregnancy Help Center. Well, I have a praise report about the Pregnancy Help Center. You know, we were touching more lives each and every year, and you're not supporting us in vain. God gave me the privilege of signing the check that pays off the building. And, you know, I, I was like, wow, Lord, you, you brought me in this position And there have been many people before me, but I feel like he chose me for that. And I'm awed by that. The fact that I was able to sign that check. So I wanted to give that praise report so that you know that the support of the Pregnancy Help Center is not in vain. And now that frees up more money to reach more ladies and more men and save more children. So we praise God for that on this morning. So on this morning, I want to start by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 51. Of course, the Apostle Paul here is addressing the saints that are in the, at the church in Corinth. Still hear some pages turning, so we'll wait. And it reads, Behold, 
I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so we're going to talk about someone who has fought for all of us, Christ, our champion. Now, in America, we love our sports. The big three of football, basketball, and baseball are especially popular, but soccer is growing in popularity here as well. Even though 99% of us do not play a major college or professional sport, we identify with certain teams of players for various reasons. The biggest is normally because they are from our home city or our home state. Now, I was mentioning on this morning, I'm originally from Chicago, and I grew up a Chicago Bulls fan. I used to listen to the Chicago Bulls games with my dad on a radio at our kitchen table. And it was painful because back then the Chicago Bulls were perennial losers. And we suffered through that, the 70s and the 80s, until a young man named Michael Jeffrey Jordan came along. And then our fortunes changed. And we won six championships. And I identified myself as a champion, even though I did not play one minute on that court. I figured I had paid my dues. <laughs> now, if our favorite team or player wins a championship, we act as if we won a championship. Many times the players speak as if we participated in the victory. It's because whatever city or state they play in, they represent that place and the people who live there. It makes the whole city champions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 58, the Apostle Paul speaks of a mystery. When a special trumpet is sounded, the dead in Christ, those who have died in the faith, will be raised with bodies that have no corruption or no decay. That's the point to praise him right there. Those of us still alive will be changed, having the same kind of bodies with no corruption or decay. Paul is referring to what most believe to be what we call the rapture of the church. But that's not my focus this morning. I want to focus on this word victory. The scripture says that we have been given victory by God. And you may ask, victory over what? And I'm glad you asked that. We're going to answer this shortly. Exactly how did we obtain this victory? But that's it. 
We did not obtain it. We did nothing to gain it. Christ did it on our behalf. Christ is our champion, and we share in this victory. There is an account of another champion which serves as a great illustration in the physical realm what Christ did for us in the spiritual realm. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. While you're turning, just to give you a little bit of background here, this is the story of David and Goliath. And we all are familiar with that story. Before we get to chapter 17, there was a prophet by the name of Samuel. And he was commissioned by God to go anoint the next king of Israel. And Samuel went to Jesse's house, David's father. And Jesse paraded out all of his sons, at least the first seven. And Samuel thought, hey, the first one was, that's the, that's the one. He was great in stature, must have been rugged, and, you know, the kind of the marble, marble man type. And um, God, yeah, I'm going way back on that one. <laughs> Sorry for you young people. Y'all probably don't know what I'm talking about there. But after he paraded all of his sons, God had told him, neither one of these are the one. And so Samuel looks at Jesse and said, do you have any more? Well, he says, I do have, have one. He's out tending sheep. Samuel said, bring them in. And when David comes in, God tells Samuel, that's the one. And so he is anointed king of Israel, though he didn't take that position yet. But he was the one God had chosen because he had rejected King Saul for his disobedience. So we're here in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. It says, now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And were gathered together at Shoka, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoka and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed 
and greatly afraid. So the Philistines have set themselves to battle against Israel, and Israel has done the same. The Philistines are on one side of the mountain, and Israel is on the other side of the mountain, there being a valley between them. The Philistines have sent forth their champion, Goliath. He is at least six cubits and a span tall. Now, let me translate that for you. Goliath is at least nine feet, nine inches tall, suited in very heavy armor and armed with a great sword. This is a big guy. This is a large guy. And that's who is challenging Israel. Goliath challenges Israel to send out a man to fight against him. If Goliath wins, Israel will serve the Philistines. If the man of Israel wins, the Philistines will serve Israel. Israel is very afraid because they have no one who can match Goliath in size or strength. And this is where David comes on the scene. Starting at verse 12, going through 37, I'm going to summarize that. David is sent to the battle by Jesse, his father. The three oldest sons of Jesse are a part of the army of Israel. Jesse sends his youngest son, David, to give food to the army and to find out how the battle is going. After finding out how the battle is going, David inquires about what will be done for the man who defeats Goliath. Look at verse 22 in that same chapter. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And so what I want you to notice is the difference between the two reports. If we go to verse, let me see, verse 25, it says, And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. But look at what David says in verse 26. What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you notice the difference in, a, in confidence, in faith? When the men give the report, the men of Israel, they say, surely this man has come to defy Israel. They made it about them. They thought it was just them against Goliath. But David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God. David has a greater understanding of what this battle is all about. We can see that when he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? 
He's invoking the covenant that God has with Israel because this Philistine is uncircumcised. Therefore, he is not in covenant with God. Secondly, he said that he should defy, he didn't say Israel. He said that he should defy the armies of the living God. David understood that the Philistines coming against them wasn't really about them. It was about the armies of the Philistines coming against the God that they served. And isn't it amazing? Have you ever been in a struggle or a battle and you thought it was about you? Too many times the enemy comes up against us and we think it's about us. It's not really about us. It's about the God we serve. The enemy would like nothing better to defeat you, not because of you, but because that's one less person he has to deal with when it comes to going against God. So please understand, if you're a child of God, if the enemy comes against you, it's not about you. It's about the God that you serve. It's about the spirit of God that dwells within you. And understand, when he comes against you, you have the power of heaven behind you. David understood this. So after finding out how the battle is going on, Again, David inquires about what will be done, and they tell him, you'll marry the king's daughter, you'll be greatly enriched, and guess what? Your father's house won't be taxed. David volunteers to fight Goliath and joins Goliath in the valley. Now, I want you to pay attention to this, because we're going to come back to this. Remember we said the Israelites are on one side on a mountain. The Philistines are on another side on a mountain. Goliath has come from the army of the Philistines down into the valley. David is coming down from among the Israelites into the valley to meet him. Keep that in mind. So if we were to go to verses 45 through 54, we're not going to read those verses, but we know what happened. David faces Goliath. David pronounces He declares before Goliath that the God of heaven will deliver Goliath into his hands so that the whole earth will know that the God of heaven rules heaven and earth, that he is the one in control and that he is the God of Israel. David goes on to defeat Goliath and Israel in turn overcomes the Philistines. David's defeat of Goliath on behalf of Israel is a preview of Christ's victory over Satan on our behalf. It's actually a picture. I think in pictures. I'm a visual learner. So that's why I study different words because I found that in the Hebrew language, it's a a picturesque language, if you will. And so I looked up these certain words. One specifically, the word champion. Go back to verse 4 in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. It says there, and there went out a champion 
out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And so I looked up that word champion. And in the original Hebrew, it's actually two words. It's the word ish and benjamin. The first word means man, male, husband, servant, mankind, champion. The second word means between, space between two armies, man of the space between two armies. Do you see that picture? David comes down from Israel to meet the giant, the champion of the Philistines in the valley. Basically, you could sum up that word with this phrase. I'm going to modernize it. Go between. David is a go-between on behalf of Israel. Gath is the go-between, or should I say Goliath is the go-between for the men of the Philistines. And just like David is a go-between for Israel, Christ is a go-between for us. David's defeat of Goliath on behalf of Israel is a preview of Christ's victory over Satan. God was doing something here much greater than just defeating Goliath and the Philistines. He was setting the pattern for how he would defeat the enemy of our souls. Jesus is referred to in the scripture as the seed of David. If you were to go to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. He's also referred to as the son of David many times. But specifically in Matthew 21. When he enters the city, what we normally celebrate as Palm Sunday. And they declare, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And they declare Jesus to be the son of David. Just as David is Israel's go-between, so is Christ ours. This story illustrates what Christ is to us. We had two enemies who were arrayed against us, as well as a just God whose judgment Hung over us. Christ stands between us and the power of sin and its penalty. He stands between us and the power of Satan, who at one time held the power of condemnation and death over us. He stands between us and the wrath of God, which rightly stood in judgment of us. Now, doesn't that picture paint a pretty desperate situation for us? Sin is against us, Satan is against us, and the judgment of God hangs over us. But Christ is our go-between. He's our champion. Here's the picture. We were all sinners sold under sin. We were under the control of the one who had the power of death, Satan himself. We were also the object of God's wrath who must judge sin. Apart from God, we were without hope. There was a price on our heads due to the law, be it the law of God as given to Moses or the law of our own consciences. The only thing that could free us from slavery to sin, the power of the devil, and the wrath of God was the blood of an innocent one. It couldn't be just anyone's blood. It had to come from someone whose blood was so powerful it could neutralize the power of sin within us, remove the guilt of sin from us, 
Disarm the one who had the power of death over us and satisfy the righteous, the righteous wrath of God that awaited us. The earth had no one that fit that bill. So God had to look to the place where he dwells and there was his son who willingly took upon himself human flesh, lived a sinless life while enduring the temptation of the evil one. Now I want to stop right there for a second because I want us to really grasp what Christ did. Christ, the son of God, God in the flesh, who dwelt at the right hand of the father, the one who created the whole universe became like one of us. Now, he didn't just appear on the scene as a full-grown man. I-, I want you to think about this. The God of heaven who created you and me came in the form of a baby. How many ladies have had children? Think of, especially when they're first born. And all of the things that you go through when you're taking care of that small baby. Changing diapers, cleaning up spit, and all of the other things that go with being a baby. The God of heaven humbled himself so much that he became like one of those little babies. Now, what does that say about how much he loves us? You talk about amazing. You talk about out of this world kind of love. What would move? I mean, God could have started over, couldn't he? I mean, he's God. But once God sets his love upon us, nothing can change that. And the God of heaven, that blows my mind, that the God of heaven came as a man and didn't just appear on the scene, became a child, a babe in the womb of a woman, delivered through the womb of a woman. The God of heaven had to have his diaper changed. See, I know y'all don't think about that, but I do. I'm kind of weird like that. That blows me away. You talk about a champion. Someone who would do all of that just to save my soul from an eternal hell. You talk about the amazing love of God. That's a champion. Someone who would lay their very lives down for you. That's a champion. He shed his precious blood on a cross, taking upon himself every sin that every person has committed who will ever live. Now, I know when I was out in the world, it was enough to carry my own sin and the burden of guilt that goes with it. Can you imagine carrying the sin of the whole world of every person who would ever live? In that moment, Jesus became the object of God's wrath for us. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. 
After this, his precious blood was taken to the very throne of God and presented to the Father as a ransom for all. God was satisfied and raised Christ from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep him. Now, all who receive him are loosed from the bondage of sin. We are free from the power of sin within us and the penalty of sin upon us. We are no longer under the power of Satan. He had the power of death, but Christ took that from him when he took our place on that cross. No longer does God's wrath abide upon us. The righteous anger of God has been satisfied, and now his love is poured out upon us. Just as David defeated Goliath in the most unlikely way, with five smooth stones and a slingshot, So Jesus defeated Satan in a most unusual way. Instead of hand-to-hand combat, Christ defeated Satan on a cross. Instead of seeking to save his own life, Christ laid his life down as a ransom for many. Not only does he save us, Christ has made us champions. Now I want you to picture, go back to when David was fighting Goliath. Now, Israel was already shaking in their boots. The the scriptures tell us that. Goliath is down there, and he's mocking them. Then Israel finally decides, we're going to send David. Can you imagine how Israel must have felt when David, the youngest of them all, who was not even really a part of the army, was going down there to Fight Goliath. Israel had to be like, oh my goodness. I knew we were in trouble, but I didn't know we were in that much trouble. And then, now Goliath, remember, he's almost 10 feet tall. And all of this armor and all of this gear, and he has this huge sword. And David pulls out five smooth stones. He starts Doing this with the slingshot with a stone in it. Israel's like, we're dead. Anybody remember the, the cartoon movie, The Incredibles? Remember when they fell out into the water and the children started screaming, we're dead, we're dead, we're dead. That's how Israel must have felt. We're dead. And so David is slinging this, doing this. And David understood It's not really about the stone. It's about the God who stands behind me. I love that song, the one who goes before me, and I know who stands behind. The God of ancient armies who's always by my side. That's what David understood. And when he slang that thing, hit him square in the head. Now, you know, the Philistines, they're confident. They're cocky up. This kid, man. It's already a done deal. Israel's over here shaking in their boots. We're going to lose. We're going to die. And they see Goliath fall. Boom. Can you imagine the confident Philistines over here? Their heart is gone. The Bible says when they saw Goliath fall, they took off. Israel is over here like, first they like, What? 
And then they go after the Philistines. And they go back and claim their spoils. You know what? I believe the enemy of our souls thought the same thing when he saw Jesus hanging on that cross. Oh, this is a done deal. Oh, it's over. All of these folk going to belong to us. That's how he felt that Friday evening. But Sunday morning, it was a totally different story. Totally different. And just like the Philistines took off running, I believe the imps of Satan took off too. Especially when that stone started moving. Now, what's the difference between being a championship fan of the Chicago Bulls and a champion of Christ? Here's the difference. What do you think I got when they won those six championships? Nothing. The only thing I got was bragging rights. That was it. But guess what I received as a result of being a champion of Christ. The better question would be, where do we begin? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says that we receive the forgiveness of sins. It's gone. We don't have to worry about past sins coming back to haunt us. John chapter 10, verse 28 says that we receive eternal life. And eternal life, it isn't just that we just live, but it's life as God has it. Zoe life. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 says that we receive a kingdom. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says that we receive all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. My question is, what do you need? It's available to you. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, we receive righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. John chapter 1, verse 12 says that we become the sons of God. And to follow that up, that go, it goes along with being a son, Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, think about that. The sacrifice of Christ didn't just free us from hell. It didn't just cleanse our sin. It didn't just give us new life, but it gave us a kingdom. And we are heirs with Christ alongside of him. What he receives, we receive. Now, that's a champion I want to cheer for. You can praise him. Go ahead. Now, I would like to end by quoting Romans chapter 8, verse 37, which states, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The phrase more than conquerors means that we have gained a surpassing victory. In light of this, just like the children of Israel had to go and finish off the Philistines, after their champion David defeated Goliath. We, as the recipients of the victory Christ gained for us, need to lay hold of the promises of God given to those who love him. This is not a passive act. 
This is an act of aggression. You do this through declaring the promises of God over your life and then being led by the Holy Spirit to do those things which lead to the manifestation of these promises in your life. The scripture tells us, Jesus himself says that the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Just like the the children of Israel, even though the Philistines were already defeated, they had to go after them to get their stuff. They had to go after them to get what belonged to them. So do we as believers. Even though Christ has already given us the victory, we have to go after what God has promised us. We can't lose heart. We have to go after it with everything we have. Amen? And so, that's it for me. And what I would like to do is open the altars for prayer. The first thing I I, want to do is open the altar for anyone. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're already defeated. You need Jesus to be your champion. And there's a lot that comes when you receive him as your Savior and your Lord. I just scratched the surface. So if you're here right now and you don't know Jesus, I would ask that you would come forward right now and receive him. If you would, would you stand? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask that the ministry team and the Life group pastors would come forward. If you need Jesus, now is the time to receive him. If you know Christ, that you have some needs, you... you You have some concerns. You have some things that you want from the Lord. And you want someone to agree with you in prayer. The altars are open for you to come as well. If there are blessings, if there are promises that you want to claim, now is the time to come. You have loved ones, and you want to claim them for Christ because they don't know him. Why don't you come on down and have someone agree with you in prayer that they will be saved and Jesus will become their champion. Any need that you might have, no matter how small or great. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, there he is in the midst. And he is here to hear and answer your prayer. 